At the Storyteller's Mission, we believe that story is the most powerful force in the universe. Zena Del Lowe. And that's what this week's guest has dedicated her life to. Story. Hi, I'm Chrissy Bartles, and welcome to the Stop Dreaming, Get It Done podcast, where we tell true stories and find the joy in deep sadness together so that we can release past experience, ditch negativity, and experience personal, professional, and spiritual growth in the process. My guest, Zena Del Lowe, is a writer, speaker, teacher, story coach, and podcast host. Zena has worked professionally in the entertainment industry for over 20 years as a screenwriter, producer, actress, and story consultant. In 2020, Zena launched her podcast, The Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe, which has become one of the most popular shows among Christian artists all over the world. The Storyteller's Mission focuses not just on craft, but on how to write great stories that reflect a true biblical moral worldview and have a chance to compete in the marketplace of ideas. Zena loves story and storytellers. Driven by a passion to equip artists of all levels to achieve excellence at their craft, she regularly teaches advanced classes on writing as an adjunct professor and at writers' conferences all across the country. Zena also offers advanced, comprehensive, and one-of-a-kind online classes for writers through her website, www.thestorytellersmission.com. To find out more about her current course for screenwriters, which I am taking, um, called Formatting as an Art Form, it is now on sale for a limited time only. You'll want to go to uh, thestorytellersmission.com forward slash formatting as an art form. I will put the link in the description so that you won't miss it. And again, I'll tell you again, it's thestorytellersmission.com forward slash formatting as an art form. We tell our stories to heal, help, grow, learn, inspire, and motivate. My hope is that you get exactly what you need at exactly the right moment you need it from these stories. If you have a story you'd like me to tell or would like to be a guest on the show, please head to my website, chrissyhoagbartles.com, and submit a message with a short description of your story, and I'll reach out to you no matter what. There are so many brilliant moments and life lessons in this episode that I hope you will benefit Exciting. from. I'm glad we're doing this. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you, Zena. You have been an inspiration to me for, I mean, since I met you, was a year ago, over a year ago, a year and a half ago, right? Yeah. Um, you're insanely honest. You're so intelligent. You know so many things. You've been so helpful to people, you know, telling your story and helping other people resolve issues or face them even, or be honest about them. You mm -hmm. know, you have so many, you do that. And so that's why I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. I think that your message and i'm i want you back on you have so many <laughs> you have so many stories to share that i think end in um some form of transformation that will inspire people who are suffering in any way in a similar way to be able know that they can move on mm. from you know whatever pain or suffering that they've had so I know I just gushed about you for a little bit, but well, all of the things I just said, that's <laughs> are true. Um, I'm honored to have you because the work you do is amazing. Um, and so obviously you're here. I don't want to waste any more of your time. I would love to hear your story. So, um, but actually before uh, we get into that, I do want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, the work that you do. I just kind of gave a little bit of a way um, and we're, people can find you because they're going to want to. Oh, well, thank you so much, Chrissy. You, you flatter me, you humble me, and you also make me feel so good. <laughs> it feels good to, to know that, uh, you know, what feels good is it feels good to know that the suffering you went, you've gone through has been of service to others, that there's been an actual payoff um, where it's, it, God has been able to use it for good. 
because mm -hmm. sometimes I think when we go through through those dark places, we're just like, it's so hard. It's hard to just even get through it. And then to think that someday that that could actually be useful and helpful to others and an inspiration even is pretty mind blowing. And that just is a testimony to the goodness of God and that he's, he's able to do that. He's able to take our worst things and make beauty from it. Okay. So yeah, I met you ironically at another really dark time right when my brother and his wife were killed in a terrible plane accident and then my nephew was life flighted to seattle or excuse me to salt lake city so here i was teaching you at regent we just started the semester and then that happened and so uh that was that was a pretty that's and it, and it continues to be a, a dark time and oh. i haven't told people as to why, but it, for me, it's actually different than what you might think. So there's some interesting stuff there that we can talk about in the future too, if we want. Your um, bravery, I know I'm gonna interrupt you. That's okay, bravery, please do. Your bravery and your courage and your ability to, I don't know if you compartmentalized all of that stuff you were handling or dealing with because you showed up to class and you were able to get through class without absolutely breaking down. Um, and you did talk about it a little bit, which is typically where people do break down, is speaking the words out loud about what happened. And you were um, just amazing. You showed up, you did the work, you, you, know, you did create videos for us that, um, and I, your podcast, uh, so there's just a plug right out of here, um, right, right at the beginning, um, the Storyteller's Mission, uh, podcast yeah. is brilliant. I mean, the nuggets, if I have any writers watching this or listening to this, um, every single one of your episodes is just full of incredibly dense and helpful information on writing, mm -hmm. characters, structure. And of course, I, I am a, a student of yours <laughs> in your course. But the truth is what I love about what you're doing is also one of the things that is a passion of mine. So when you asked me to be on your show, which is a show to give hope basically to people that have gone through some sort of trauma or who have suffered greatly in some way and are struggling. I mean, my goodness, that is the human condition, right? That's life. And so as you will see, if, you know, if anybody, uh, if any of your listeners do check out the Storyteller's Mission, that's always part of my podcast. It's always approaching it from this human psychology, suffering, biblical worldview, where we try to understand these things from the context of how God actually created the world. And then what do we do with them to, to be the best still in that, to not be defeated? And I'm often telling my students, and I don't think of you as a student, you were, grad, you were in the graduate program. So you're not like one of my students, like from Covenant, who was, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. Those are my students. You're my peer. Uh, but, you know, I tell those students that comedy is not the opposite of serious. It's the opposite of despair. Mm. Because when we can laugh at things or that sort of thing, we're basically laughing in the face of, oh, this is unjust, all this terrible suffering. But the point is, is that life is suffering in a lot of ways. And what unfortunately we've done in America, I think, is we try to avoid it. And we, mm. we try to do anything not to suffer. Like we think that that's the goal of life, to not suffer. We've even changed what we think it means to pursue the American dream. We have this idea that to live the American dreams mean we don't suffer. And then anytime anybody suffers, they think they're victimized and they shouldn't even be uncomfortable. They shouldn't even be challenged in their views. You know, how dare you challenge me in your views? So now I'm going to silence you and tell you that you can't have an opinion about this thing that I'm doing because my right is to live without suffering. I mean, I honestly mm. think that's kind of where we've gone psychologically, but we're not supposed to have lives without suffering. In fact, I believe that suffering, this is kind of controversial, but I think suffering existed before the fall. I think mm. that Adam had depression. In fact, I think that it was because he was depressed because he'd gone through all those animals to see if a suitable helper could be found and there wasn't one. And I think he was sleeping because he was so depressed. 
because he couldn't find his partner. <laughs> and wow. I think that God did that on purpose so that when he brought Eve, now Adam could experience joy, true joy, true gratitude. Had he found it, it he wouldn't have appreciated what he had found, you know, if, he, if it had happened So sometimes we have to go through the suffering to even experience the joy. Yeah. Anyway, I'm yeah. getting into I'm getting into like actual All philosophy the stuff without telling <laughs> you that. anything about myself. <laughs> right. Yes. No, but I agree because when you have gratitude, it's because you know what you didn't have. Um, so you you couldn't be more right. Now, um, now I interrupted you again. So please do, please do uh, tell your story. You're going to take over. I'm going to stop talking. Well, unless I, I don't you. know about that. But okay, just to give you a little background. So I work in the entertainment industry. And primarily what I'm doing today is uh, I, I have several things. One is I'm a screenwriter. Um, so I've got, I think I have three different writing gigs right now that I'm juggling. Uh, this is paid writing jobs. None of them are my ideas. I'm just paid to execute them. Uh, but on, on the side, I am, of course, trying to get my own projects written. It's just harder to get them sold. So it's nice to be a writer for hire. Uh, and I also, uh, one of my passions, of course, as you mentioned, is the Storyteller's Mission. And the Storyteller's Mission is a podcast, but it's also an online platform where I teach classes to writers specifically and from a biblical Christian point of view. Not that you have to be a Christian to take my classes. In fact, I happen to know I have several atheists or agnostics who still follow my stuff because they they like what I say and it's never preachy and I'm never trying to proselytize. I'm just trying to look at what's true. And I think Christianity is the best explanation of the world as we know it. Uh, but really I'm teaching principles of writing that I believe are sort of foundational, just like we have the rules of physics. Uh, it, they're, they're built into the DNA of this world. And so if we can understand these rules and principles that are just built into the fabric of the universe, we can become better storytellers. So that's kind of what I do. And I love it. I love teaching. I really do. I love, I'm passionate about artists. I also have a heart for artists because I do think a lot of artists come out of trauma. And I often joke that there's really only three things I know on earth. I know story. I definitely know story. I also know suffering, trauma. My background is not pretty. And I've had a lot of uh, harm happen to me and I have caused a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. As a result of the harm that I inherited, by God, I went ahead and made a mess of things. Hmm. And so I see it on both sides of that. And then, so I understand trauma and psychology, human psychology. But the last thing that I believe, and, and this is one of those, you, you have to be careful about saying, I understand these things because you know, there's so much we, we, that we don't know. But I have a master's in apologetics from Biola University, hmm. from Talbot School of Theology because I'm passionate about Christianity, not the church, by the way, not <laughs> the Christian church as we think of it. In fact, mm -hmm. I struggle because I've had a lot of spiritual uh, abuse from the churches I've attended. And I'll confess to you, I don't go to church anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I've even tried and I will have, um, I'll, I'll legitimately have anxiety attacks when I step into a church. And I know that mm -hmm. that's something that God is working with me on. And at some point, I trust that that'll be resolved. But I'm able to separate Jesus from mm -hmm. the man-made church. Mm -hmm. And I'm able, to, I'm able to feel that church is this. This is church. We're having it mm -hmm. right now. This is the fellowship, the communion of the saints right now. It isn't a building. So it's not that. It's not that structure. Right, when two that or is. three are gathered in my name. Yep, there I am in their midst, and this is church. Yes. Here we are, we're having it. Yeah. Uh, whoop, whoop. Uh, so all that to say, I, I really feel like one of the things that God has given me, I hope, is an ability to see the world clearly from the point of view of a biblical Christian doctrine. 
uh, a biblical Christian worldview, which I think is essential for good storytelling, not because it's anything, it's not because it has anything to do at all with trying to teach people a lesson. It's because when you have the correct worldview that you're looking at the world with, you're better able to tell stories because now you understand correctly what's motivating a person. Now you understand the full depths of the human being and you're not limited to narrow views or labels or categories or a specific identity that is based on a group and therefore you take away the individuality of that person. You are in it, you are understanding on a deeper level. I think it helps you see things more clearly because it's in line with the way the universe actually is. Wow. In that, though, I will also say the last thing about me that maybe your viewers uh, might be interested in knowing is that I'm also not terribly popular in the church, per se. (laughs) And what I mean by that, (laughs) I'm kind of a controversial figure because I think the church has done it badly. And I mean the church, all of us collectively. I think we've really failed. And I think we've failed in terms of how we tell stories. Uh, the whole Christian uh, movie idea is uh, it's anathema to me. I hate it. I think it was a terrible mistake. And I am so angry. I get so passionately angry at the crap that is being turned out and somehow then lauded by people in the church as being good. And it's not. There is something wrong. We are sick. We have accepted mediocrity. And we are also, we have sacrificed truth on the altar of peace or kindness or niceness. Mm -hmm. We have given up our teeth. You know, we've laid our teeth on the altar so that we can be peaceful as if that's what we were supposed to be. But when I read about Jesus, I don't see that. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was meant to be the God of peace. Now, the peace is an internal peace between me and God. I meant peace there. But we should be fighters. So I have a whole thing where really I feel like my job here is to find Christians that have the same fire and we have to be in we have to be in the battle we are in the battle but jesus is probably the most battling yeah go ahead controversial i mean brave against he couldn't be more i mean you couldn't be describing what you believe in that we should all be doing better than that he was doing that and showing us this way i totally agree with you absolutely 100 i agree because here's the thing is that he went through the and overturned the tables in the temple how <laughs> awesome is that i Think love about it. jesus the jesus that we have been handed right this jesus that's just all peace and loving and all this and he is those things right? He is, he's loving and he's good and all those things. And he walks into the temple and he sees these men making money in the temple of God, defiling what the purpose of it is. They have made a marketplace out of a place of worship and the fire that was ignited Mm -hmm. in him to go through and overturn the tables. And I mean, he... I mean, that is a scene. That is awesome. That's high drama. And he was pissed. I love that. And, And I think that we have lost our zeal. We think if any of us were to doing that, we would think we'd lost our minds. Or we would think somebody in the church had lost their minds. They were out of control that they were demonstrating some terrible, um, character flaw and we would probably (laughs) revile them. Because we would probably be sitting with the money changers. So, you know, I like to think that I'm actually, I mean, wouldn't we all like to think that we're, we're, uh, we're on the side of Jesus? Of course we would. So that's actually a very arrogant statement. But I guess what I'm really trying to say is I like to think that uh, we don't have to be toothless. In fact, we need, we need, to, we need to be ferociously courageous. We need to be dangerous and danger comes 
A dangerous person is not an obedient coward. A dangerous person is somebody that has the potential to wreak all kinds of havoc and destruction, but has self-restraint and self-control because they're controlled by the spirit. So when Jesus was overturning those tables in the temple, he wasn't out of control. Even that act, which was done in anger, and we think that anger is bad. I don't. I think anger is a God-given emotion that we ought to feel when things are not right and when injustice exists and we have to do something about it. And so when he overturned them, he was angry, but he did not sin in his anger because he didn't give himself over to the anger in his flesh. And that's where we have never been able to find a lot of that balance. Uh, we've never been truly filled with the spirit. And so like when I get angry, I easily give myself over to the flesh. And so mm -hmm. anger is dangerous for me, but not because anger is bad. It's because I need more control over my flesh. I need to be self-controlled according to what the Bible tells me I should be able to do when I'm filled with spirit. So anyway, I'm, I'm preaching now. Uh, you are so intense though. And your ideas are so <laughs> different. They're so, um, they're revolutionary also. You know what I mean? Like the things that you say and the way that you come at things, the way you see things and the way you explain them are revolutionary, which Jesus was a revolutionist. <laughs> well, thank you. Okay. So this then would, I guess, I suppose, this is a very non-traditional, uh, it's not a chronological interview, is it? We're not like no, going through the steps here. We're like going off on all these tangents, but that's I don't okay. care for all those constraints. Okay. Anyway, so. <laughs> We're throwing off the chains of restraint. So uh, you asked me to tell my story. And I find it difficult sometimes to tell my story because it feels like so many things have happened over my life. And I've had so many different phases. So my teens and early childhood is one phase. My 20s are an entire another phase. My 30s are another phase. My 40s are another phase. And I, now I'm in my 50s. Well, I'm 50. So I'm in, I, and I hope that I've made it to the next phase. But each of those decades actually has such an indelible print on it. And most of those decades, well, all of them, except for, I hope, my 50s, were very much characterized by deep suffering, but a suffering in a different category. However, having said that, I now know that it all traces back to my childhood. And I'm going to try to explain that a little bit, but in essence, my 40s, so I'm, so I'm going to break up my story by decades. Mm -hmm. And my 40s are when I finally went to treatment because there were problems in my life. I was engaged in regular patterns of what I now know to be uh, patterns of trauma reenactment. Uh, I didn't know what those were. I didn't know it existed. I certainly didn't understand anything about it. And most of all, I didn't think that I could ever be relieved of it because it was just the way things were. Mm -hmm. So I was enslaved to these patterns of trauma reenactment. And what I thought it was, was either the way I really was deep down because I was such a, I had such flawed character. And so no matter how much I believed in Jesus, I didn't believe that there was any hope of being delivered of those things because obviously I kept repeating these things no matter how much faith I had, no matter how much I prayed, no matter how much I tried, I couldn't seem to stop. So clearly I was a bad person because I hated it, but I couldn't stop. But we also know this as addiction. And the thing is, again, my addiction was different than say alcoholism but there are plenty of overlapping characteristics you know the the drunk or the alcoholic is engaged in a pattern of trauma reenactment with their alcohol that has patterns that trace back from the moment they are triggered to when they end up you know drinking and they're like how did i get here 
And the problem is they're not aware of all of the things that happened that got them on that same path and ended them up in that place. The common denominator of most people that are caught in addiction patterns is they are baffled by it. Mm. How did I get in this situation again? I swore it would never happen again. And yet here I am. And it's a hopeless thing because we didn't mean to get there. But we did, and the only explanation that we can possibly come up with is, I am a fundamental piece of crap. Hmm. So that was me. And my addiction, though, was not a, a chemical addiction. It's what we would call an, a process addiction. Process addictions are behavior addictions, certain patterns that we follow in behaviors. And one thing I'm doing is I'm actually writing a book on it. I'm calling it Baffled, the surprising connection between unresolved childhood trauma and process addiction. Because what I have found is that there isn't a single process addiction that doesn't trace back to childhood. So childhood is where it happens. It is where you are born into trauma. You're born into dysfunctional homes. You're born into abuse, neglect, abandonment, uh, and, it, and it damages you. And so you develop these coping mechanisms, these survival techniques that help you survive your childhood. But then as you repeat them as adults, it only causes death but you cannot break free. It is so well-grained. It is so established in your being. And you don't even know what operating software you're running. It's just <clears throat> happening. So one of the things that my 40s characterized was an unraveling of all of this. Finally understanding, okay, I, I'm a sur survivor of, of abuse, sexual abuse. Hmm. I didn't know that. Now I know that sounds crazy and it's not because I had repressed memories. It's not because some therapist helped me remember something I'd forgotten. I had all the memories. I just didn't know to categorize them as hmm. sexual abuse. And wow. apparently that's very common. Mm -hmm. Apparently it's very common for somebody who say has some sort of terrible trauma from their childhood to not know that it's trauma because they think, well, if this would have happened, that would be really bad, but that didn't happen. So, you know, we have this tendency to minimize our own suffering and think that we're okay. Think that we're, or that it's in the past or that we've already worked through it without heed to, or without regard to these continual patterns that we keep repeating. So to your listeners, I would say the first clue that you should look for in your life to, to ask whether or not you need help is if you find yourself in patterns that you repeat and you don't want to. If you end up engaging in particular behaviors that you swear you won't and you've tried to quit and yet you find yourself there again, you're probably in a pattern of trauma reenactment. And it means you need help yes. from, from a qualified trauma specialist. Yes. Uh, it, will, it will behoove you to get some help. Because here's the other thing. I didn't know that what happened to me could be categorized, categorized as sexual abuse. And the reason for that is because nobody actually raped me, molested me. Uh, nobody touched me, right? So what, how am I a... It feels wrong to even say that I am a um, survivor of childhood sexual abuse when that never happened to me. And, and it, it almost feels immoral to say that I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse when there's some kid out there who's maybe been raped by their father. So to me, that's what constituted being a child of, you know, or being a survivor of, of um, sexual abuse is, you know, something violent like that. Sure. But just to give you a little, a few things, I'll give you a few things. Um, 
my dad regularly looked at porn. My, my parents were divorced when I was two and a half. My dad was a serial philanderer. Uh, he regular, he never tucked me in. Uh, he, he never ever tucked me in, in, in my, in my life, according to his own testimony, uh, because he was always out chasing women and he always wanted multiple women. Um, that was just the way the family was. And in the meantime, my mom, uh, was a codependent who would, was trying to keep the family together. And because my dad was out there drinking and, and chippy chasing, that's what we always called it in our family. Uh, she was always chasing after my dad to try to control and try to fix it and try to get him to come back to the family. But in the meantime, that that meant the kids were actually being neglected. And I don't blame my mother for that. She didn't know any better and uh, she wasn't trying to cause harm. But nevertheless, I can tell you, um, I was neglected uh, and I didn't get what I needed because of the dysfunctional relationship between my parents. Uh, so my dad was a sex addict, and um, even back then, and before they even knew that that existed, uh, and he was also a, a drinker, a you know terrible alcoholic. He also smoked cigarettes like crazy. He was a gambler. He pretty much had every sort of uh, uh, addiction that you could imagine. Uh, and my mom was an addict too, because here's the thing: you can't be married to an addict without becoming an addict. Probably not in the same area. Most, most of the time it's, if you're married to an addict and you're not like actually addicted to like some sort of substance, then you become a codependent, which is an addiction. It is an addiction. It's trying to fix and rescue and, and, and protect and, and do all these things to control the other person, but it becomes its own addiction. So you're, there's always two addicts in any sort of addict union. So that was the soil of my early years and there's a lot more to it but that's that's enough of that and but in terms of the sexual abuse stuff so i remember i must have been four and a half or five like i remember this though it made an impression being in the bathroom and seeing playboys all over and seeing these centerfolds and I remember the shame washing over my body, the, the heat coming up and into my ears that my ears were really, really hot. Mm -hmm. And I knew I shouldn't be looking and I couldn't help it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was bad for seeing that. Well, guess what? That is sexual abuse. Even though it mm -hmm. wasn't somebody touching me, it was that, it, and, it, and it distorts my perceptions of sexuality. And I'm prematurely exposed to something that a, a you know a four and a half year old five year old girl shouldn't be exposed to, and on top of that, you know my dad and his friends would talk about my sister and I as sexual beings. Um, oh so like God. you can say like, uh, ouch, you know that hurts. I didn't realize that that was uh, sexual abuse. Now, but my dad never touched me, never mm -hmm. ever touched me. Uh, but they would talk about us as sexual beings. Um, you know, really really young. Um, my my dad always chased women after after my mom and him got divorced he never my mom was very intelligent very smart smart brilliant woman really uh, but every woman that my dad was with after that was a bimbo with big boobs uh no brain mm -hmm. you know really nice figure and that's who he was around so that's also Believe it or not, that's distorting my perception of what's valuable to a man. Mm -hmm. wow. So mm -hmm. I'm learning that somehow on a subconscious level. Uh, my father once said to me in high school, he said, you know, Zena Dell, if you ever need to make money, you have really nice breasts. You could be a stripper. And I remember at the time <clears throat> laughing it off and being uncomfortable, like, ah, dad. <laughs> You know, and thinking it was kind of funny, or but not funny, funny, but trying to make a joke of it, even though it made me terribly uncomfortable. But the truth is, what did he affirm? He did not affirm in me my intelligence, my hard work, my talent, my character. He affirmed my body. He affirmed my sexuality. He's telling me where my value comes from, how I can actually literally make money is through that. 
and that is a form of sexual abuse, but it's covert, see? All of that is covert, which is why it takes so much longer. In fact, I've read a number of books on the subject now to learn uh, that it's actually harder to identify covert sexual abuse because you can't like put your thumb on it. You can't like pinpoint it and be like, well, that's the moment I was abused because it's just the water you swam in. It's just everything about it. And so it's in some ways, it's actually a more difficult thing to overcome because you feel like you're the one that's wrong. Like nothing really happened. So you're just kind of uncomfortable, but what's wrong with you that you're uncomfortable, and especially when you're in a family system that ignores it. One of the things that I had to work through in my, um, and this is hard, you know, by the way, this is hard to talk about because I love my dad. Yeah. And, um, and my dad and I actually have a very good relationship today. Good in the sense that like he was here for two weeks at Thanksgiving and, you know, I talk to him about all my stuff, all the recovery stuff I share with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk to him openly, though I've never directly called him and, uh, you know, a, a, a sexual abuser. I've never done that. I've never confronted him to that level because I don't think he would get it because I don't think he sees himself that way. And part of that is because he was acting in his own abuse too. He has a story too. You know, that's the, that's the problem. And I believe that a lot of generational abuse is that way, by the way, or uh, excuse me, generational curses. People talk about generational curses. I think the generational curse isn't, it's not like somebody, I used to think of it like somebody was like, I curse that family. And now this family has all these problems. I honestly think what it really is, is that it's these patterns of sin that get ingrained into the family system and they're just repeated by the generations because nobody's able to break free from those cycles. It's so hard to, you oh, definitely. I was very, okay. ashamed. Yeah, shame, shame is the characteristic of my entire life through my 40s. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I carried more than anything, shame. But there were other things too. And so the sexual abuse was only just part of it. You know, then, you know, my mom, uh, and I love my mom dearly. And my mom has her own story of abuse, really, truly. And I've had to uncover all of things in my own recovery. I've had to try to understand them. And it's been hard in the family system I've been given because even questioning these things makes me a target of my family members because my mom died when I was 31. So when I start asking questions about mom, for example, my sister will, I mean, she will get very defensive and angry at me. How dare I, you know, defile our mother's memory. She did the best she could. And now I'm bad again, simply because I'm trying to understand. Uh, And there's this real thing that's been planted in dysfunctional families where you're supposed to protect the family too. So me even talking, I feel it even now. I feel it even now as I'm sharing this stuff with you openly, I feel like I'm betraying the family. Now, all I'm doing is telling the truth to the best of my knowledge and ability. And I'm certainly not trying to make myself a victim. I'm not trying to accuse and make accuse. I'm just trying to tell the truth of what happened in that family system. But even as I'm doing that, I feel there's this part of me where my heart increases. I can feel it. I feel like, oh God, what if my dad hears this? Oh God, what if, who's going to watch? Uh, and this gets back to my dad. And like this need to protect him and this yeah. need to protect people's opinions of him that I'm bad because I'm not doing that, mm-hmm. which is a double bind for an abuse victim, right? Because on the one hand, we've been abused, but on the other hand, we have this great need to protect the abuser or else Mm -hmm. we're doubly bad. So both ways we lose. (laughs) And so the shame is great. And and I do, I'm I'm just honestly expressing to you, I'm afraid of that. I'm doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to do it anyway. But with my mom- And you're doing that to, you know, to give to the people who are listening. Well, that's right. And because it has to be done. Very you know, re- recovery from things like this is not for the weak. It is hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done to do things differently than the wiring that I've been given, the, the patterns, the, the computer software that was put in me um, to go against that, to try to burn new patterns into my system. 
It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And my mom, well, on the one hand, she was this wonderful person. She had to contend with my dad. And that made her crazy. And it also, my mom also came out of a childhood where there was, it was, uh, and my grandfather was a wonderful person, a very godly man, but he was godly to the point of judgmental and self-righteous. And so shame was very much a part of the family system. So when my mom married my dad, and, and by the way, my mom got knocked up by my dad. She never admitted that before her death. Never, ever, ever. We could all do the math. I mean, Robbie was born, you know, uh, almost, you know, pretty quickly right after. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she would never admit that. And maybe she wasn't, I don't know, but I mean, I think she was. I think she was knocked up. See, even then, I still don't know for sure because mm -hmm. dysfunctional families are shrouded in secrecy and you can never get to the truth. Um, yeah. But my mom always, my dad was a, you know, he was an alcoholic from the beginning. And my mom was trying to cover the shame from the beginning. She didn't want to be ashamed. She didn't, she didn't want to be ashamed. And I believe that's why my mom died of cancer. I think it was shame. Mm -hmm. She never recovered from it. And so wow. the, the kind of abuse that she heaped on me was whenever that those feelings of shame were triggered. And I was the one that was most like my mother. And so what would happen is she would say things to me that she would never say to my other siblings, because really, I think she was talking to herself. So years later, when it turned out that I was not a virgin, uh, I was 19 and I had sex for the first time. And when my mom found that out, one of the things that she said to me is in a fit of rage, who is ever going to love you now? You are wasted goods. And those sorts of messages, though, that wasn't the first time I'd heard that kind of message. Though it was the first time I'd heard it so clearly, I suppose. But that was already part of the messaging that I'd received, that I was fundamentally bad. Mm -hmm. One of my memories that I brought up to um, probably one of the first trauma counselors I'd ever, I'd ever gone to, I told her this story and I was laughing about it as I told her. And I told her, this is a story we tell all the time in our family. It's a funny story that we tell. And I was probably eight or so at the time. And I had a terrible time getting up in the morning and when I was younger and, and I, I do, I legitimately have ADD, um, though, who knows if that was brought on by trauma, because I do think there sometimes can be a connection between ADHD and trauma, unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, I'm still medicated to this day, but I was undiagnosed back then. So I had terrible difficulty getting up, focusing, you know, like being responsible for certain things. So here I am, I'm eight, maybe nine and I'm late, I've missed the bus, I've missed the school bus. So my mom has to drive me to, to school. And we lived in the country, so we we're kind of far away. And so here we are, we're driving down the road and my mom, and it is funny, but it's also not. So, you know, my mom's in the driver's seat and I'm here and she's reaching over and she's beating my seat, just hitting it as, and she's saying, now I understand why some mothers beat their children. And she's hitting this seat and, and the dust particles are floating up into the air. And I remember, and this is why it was significant for this uh, counseling appointment. I remember shutting down. I remember going numb and watching the dust particles dance through the streaks of sunlight that were coming through my window. And I remember thinking to myself, she wants me to apologize and say, I won't do it again, but I didn't mean to do it the first time. So I can't promise it won't happen again. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I just didn't say anything and I took it and got to school and went to school. And when I got, she picked me up from school at the end of the day. I think she, or maybe she picked me up at the bus stop. We never talked about it again. And the message that I received from that was that I'm fundamentally bad because look at how I had driven my mother to this insanity and I hadn't meant to do it. And I couldn't promise I wouldn't do it again because I'm fundamentally bad. Hmm.
Wow. And that's the sort of thing that dysfunctional families often, those are the messages we actually are taught. So that's another thing I would ask your viewers, anyone struggling potentially with, um, you know, maybe they don't even know that they come from trauma in there because I didn't. I didn't know that I was suffering as an adult from uh, complex PTSD. I didn't know. I didn't know I could because I wasn't a soldier. I wasn't in battle. So I didn't even know that could be a thing. But if you ask yourself in, in, that, in that real place, in your knower, is there this fundamental core belief that you are unlovable, that there is something so fundamentally wrong with you that if anybody really knew who you were, if anybody really saw it, they wouldn't love you. They wouldn't like you. They would leave you because they'd see the truth, which is that you are bad. Mm -hmm. You're just a bad egg. And there's lots of stories I could tell about this, um, where these sorts of messages are, are planted and reinforced and it happens over and over and over again. But the upshot is you develop coping mechanisms to survive. You develop survival techniques. Some of them include shutting down emotionally, detaching, uh, out of, you know, like, that whole thing where you just are not connected to your body. I mean, I wasn't even connected to my body in a lot of ways. I, years later, when I began trying to reclaim myself or come back to myself, I remember my therapist saying when I would describe, well, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm angry. Okay, where do you feel that in your body? And I'd be like, huh? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. It was foreign. I didn't understand what that meant because there was a fundamental separation between what I felt in my body. I didn't even know what my body felt. I didn't know what these cues meant, which is why then I would get caught up in these patterns of trauma reenactment because when, when shame would be triggered, I didn't know what it felt like because I was so disconnected from my body. But the minute shame would be triggered, I would be on that road to patterns of reenactment and not even know it until after it had happened. And then I would feel more shame because I, here I am and how did I get here? And I was so confused and I felt stupid. I felt, and I felt it proved that I was fundamentally unlovable because look at what a piece of crap I am that I, I ended up here. This was the pattern of my life for years and years and years until it finally came to a head in my 40s. Yeah, all right, so um, that's actually kind of a good cliffhanger. So see, now you have to have me back because I can- I'm going to have you. Yeah, uh, but do you have, I mean, is there anything that you wanna ask about any that I've shared so far? I mean, You're brilliant. And everything that you said, I mean, everything that you say is so insightful and generous. It's generous for you to share this amount of suffering and pain and honesty from your childhood. It's just, it's so generous as the best word that I can say. It's obviously brave, but it's more importantly, it's generous. So in terms of questions, I do wonder, um, so you are working through these things still? Okay. As a therapist? So, well, I mean, okay, so my, my 40s were awful uh, because I went to treatment for, um, for 60 days. Uh, I, and I was, I'll tell you, it was, it was awful. I, I'm so glad I did it. I had to do it. I had so many layers of uh, barriers of, of denial around me. I had really made a fantasy world of my life. I had no clue what I was actually grappling with because I, I mean, I had no idea that my family was, I knew my family was, was dysfunctional. I had always known that, but not to the degree of harm that had been caused me because I always had a reason for why my life was a mess, which was I'm bad. Right. Mm -hmm. So like that was just the explanation that made sense to me. And it certainly made sense to everybody else because they reinforced that message too. And so it was a hopeless place. It was a hopeless place. And I can tell you, to me, 
I didn't understand until after I, 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 all of this came, you know, reality came crashing down and I finally had to deal with it. And I finally then have, I have received freedom. Like I don't struggle with these patterns. I've been delivered of that. Uh, praise God. I, I do not struggle at all with any, any of my patterns of trauma reenactment that used to just be the way I live. Uh, the way that I, you know, that was how I, I lived and breathed and had my being. So by God's grace, I have been completely delivered of that. And to me, that's what it is talking about. The bondage of sin, it's slavery. I was enslaved to sin because, and I had no way out. And it, and until I experienced this, and I will tell you this as a Christian, it didn't happen because of my faith in Jesus. I know that sounds crazy, and I, I still give God all the credit, by the way, but it, it wasn't about having faith enough in Jesus. It wasn't about, because I did all that. I, I went and got my master's in apologetics. It didn't deliver me from my patterns of trauma reenactment. It couldn't, because you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I didn't know the truth, which is that I was abused. I was neglected. I have trauma. And it doesn't mean, by the way, saying that does not mean my parents were as bad as they possibly could be. They weren't. My parents did the best they could. I love them both dearly. They didn't mean to. They didn't mean to. They're not evil. I'm not saying right. they're evil. I love them both dearly. My heart breaks for both of them because yes. they were stuck in patterns of trauma reenactment. And my God, I know the, the harm I caused in my life to others because of my patterns of trauma reenactment, I caused just as much harm to others as they caused to me. So if I can forgive myself, but I wouldn't forgive them, then I'm in a bad state. Having said that, that doesn't mean, forgiveness doesn't mean ignoring either the harm I've caused others or the harm that was caused me. So I have to acknowledge, okay, this is what honestly happened. But the process of being delivered from it was a slow, slow thing that starts with having to rewire things. You have to rethink, you have to, you have to uncover the truth. You have to uncover the truth. You have to identify the lies that you've believed and then actively go about replacing it with the truth, which is all biblical, by the way. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, uh, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And that is the renewing of the mind that I was doing is I had to identify. I had to take what was operating, my operating software, that thing that was just in the background of my existence that I was largely unaware of. I had to take that and see it, bring it into my conscious mind so that I could arrest the cycles so that I could go, oh, now I, oh, oh, I think, I think, I think I just got triggered in shame. And instead of then going in the path that I would always go before, now I had choices that I could make. See, what happens with trauma is when the trauma event happens, it is so formative that it literally burns a groove in your brain, right? This is what we talk about with neuron paths. And, and so it burns this groove in your brain, like a, like a road, like, like a road after a bad rain and you drive a truck on it and you've got these deep, deep grooves now in the mud. That's mm -hmm. what happens with trauma events. And however you coped to survive it tells your brain, oh, you lived. You didn't die. You thought you were going to die, but you lived. So this worked, right? So, yeah. so that, that's part of the groove that's been ingrained. Like that's the, the, the deep mud tracks that has been burned into your brain. So now when the, the shame thing or the, the event or the trigger is triggered, you, you just, it's, it's like going and trying to drive along that road. You can't, you can't almost not fall into those tracks. You're driving along that road. If your tire gets off just a little bit, whoop, you fall back into the track and then you keep going. You can't even get out of the tracks until you get to a spot where you are finally able to get out. And that's after the pattern of trauma reenactment has occurred. 
And, but then you're going to get right back in it. You're just stuck on the same wheel over and over. So this is what happened. This is why these patterns exist, which means the way to freedom is to understand them. That's why you can't just ignore the things. The only way through is through, and the only way through is to know. And that's why it's not for the weak, because people don't want to know. People don't want to see it. It hurts. It hurts. Did you know that most kids would prefer to believe that they were the failure, that the abuse that they received was because they were bad than to understand or to acknowledge that their parents failed them? Somehow, psychologically, it is a worse pain to have to deal with the fact that you were failed by your parents than that you weren't the cause of it. Because, and, yeah. and I think it's because if you're the cause, then there is always this weird hope that you can change it, which is why we keep trying so hard to change it, but we never can because we're just stuck in these patterns. But it's why we keep chasing love. It's why we keep trying to go after these people. We choose people that reject us specifically because it affirms that we're rejectable and that we should be rejected, but we keep trying to get them to love us Somehow we keep trying to do that. That's part of the pattern too, because somehow we think we can still control it because if it's my fault, I still have power. But if it's my parents' failure, I am truly powerless to fix it. And that's too much for me to bear. So we prefer to think that it is all our fault. But by the way, once we're an adult, the real key isn't to put blame on the parents, it's to take responsibility and to start looking at those patterns and to try to identify what's happening at each point, bring it to your awareness so that now, because you can see it, because you know it, you're no longer operating with this invisible operating software. Now you have choices and now you're responsible and accountable to make them. Now you have to make a choice. And I'll tell you this, now that I'm free of my patterns of trauma reenactment, someday I'll tell you what those actually are, but I'm not quite ready to do that. But now that I'm free of those, I can tell you that if I were to go back to them, it would feel ickier than ever. It would feel ickier than ever. I couldn't do it, right? I couldn't do it. So I think one of the, so obviously a lot of this is probably resonating with the people who are listening right now. And I know, you know, uh, often I feel like we watch people go through this transformation where they, they, they have the story and then they discover that this story is causing them to suffer. And then they get to the point where they're able to do the transformation. And I think that what people they hear it, they're, they're going, that's me, I need to do that. They don't know how. So the question might be, how did you come to that? How did you know that's what you needed to do? So yes, we all want the ABC and I am happy to share that. It's, a, it's too long to do right now. Um, but I think the first call of action, uh, and that's very important stuff, but for me, there's two things I would recommend. First is, is asking yourself, do you have these patterns? Do, do you see recurrent patterns of trauma reenactment? Um, okay, so yes, we all want to know a pattern. And I think I have some answers. Part of this is gonna be for my book that I'm writing, by the way, Baffled. Uh, I wanna help people walk through that process, but it's too big of an answer for just right now. So I think that this will be a good segue into the next episode if people are interested. For now, there are two things I will leave people with. One is ask yourself, do you engage in patterns of trauma reenactment that you have tried to quit, that you hate, that you want to quit, but feel powerless to do so? Be honest with yourself. Is there some sort of cycle that you see and you find yourself in the same place over and over again and you don't know how you got there and you want to stop. That's number one. If you can admit that, then now there's a place to go. Believe it or not, that is the first step because that will help you to take the next step. But you have to identify that one first. And the second thing is, is know that there is hope. Know that there is hope. That there is, I didn't believe that there was ever any chance 
ever any chance that I would be free of my patterns of trauma reenactment. I thought they were who I was because I was fundamentally bad. And if you also have that feeling deep inside in your core where you feel like there is something so fundamentally wrong about you that deep down you are unlovable, I want to say, A, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It isn't true. That's probably an indication that you come out of trauma. And B, that there is hope. Again, there is hope. So stay tuned with that. And then the last thing I will say is I want to leave people with a book that they can, um, I'm going to recommend a book. The book that really was more helpful to me than any other book I've ever read in my life, really, about this subject. And that was Dan Allender's The Wounded Heart. Now, I will say, even people who, who don't think that they have uh, childhood uh, sexual abuse, because I didn't think that that applied to me, um, but my therapist at the time still said, Zena, I want you to read this book, because even if it's just abuse or neglect, he describes, he breaks down what happens psychologically to people that have experienced that in childhood, and then what the markers are in your adult life. There are markers in your adult life. And by the way, a lot of trauma happens before people even have verbal skills and you don't have memories to form. So there's a lot of people walking around out there who might have had a terrible trauma happen before the age of five. They have no memory of it, no hope of recollecting that memory. And yet they have all the markers in their adult life of someone that has experienced terrible trauma. What are they supposed to do if you can't remember it? Well, guess what? You don't have to remember it. You don't have to be able to identify it necessarily. You have to be able to identi identify the markers and be honest about what is happening in your real life, in your real relationships, in your own spirit, everything that's happening to you now. And if you can do that, and so this book helped me to identify that and actually helped me to understand my own childhood. Can so, you tell us the name of that book again? Yeah. Really, really highly recommend it. Uh, I don't get anything for recommending this. I'm not like an affiliate marketer or anything like that. Yeah. And it was The Wounded Heart by Dan Allender. Now, Thank I will you. also okay. say I listened to the book on Audible five times and mm -hmm. I read it three times. It took me that many times to be able to fully get there, to fully. Uh, it's so rich. And I cried almost all the way through it. Every time I would listen to a section, I would bawl. Uh, so it was just, it was, it was really the process of my, the scales falling back, you know, me being able to see. So I, I would leave that with your listeners. And then um, when you have me back, I can take you on the journey from there and tell you what I did from there. Here's to you going into your 50s, your, your next decade, freer than you've ever been. It sounds Amen. like. Amen, right? sister. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I will say an that I am an example that there is hope because I am truly happier. And I'm not just, that's not just lip service. And I'm not saying, oh, Jesus filled my heart. And so I'm so happy. No, I mean, that's not, it's not this cheesy Christian line. I am truly myself now. I am truly free of those patterns of sin. That doesn't mean I'm sinless. Of course, I still have my moments where I sure like to cuss, but uh, the point is <laughs> I'm free and it, and it's good. And I see the goodness of God and I like myself. Yeah. So it's good. Well, I really like you. So, well, thank you. But it's most important for you to like yourself. <laughs> yeah. 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 Chrissy, thank Zena, you It has so been much. a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for coming on. I know you have a guest and you have things to do, so I, I am going to let you go and I'll make sure the, uh, that everybody knows where to find you. Okay. And do you want people to be able to reach out to you if they absolutely. have questions? Oh I yeah, I was actually going to say, if anybody does, you know, if they find themselves resonating with this, boy, it's just so hard to suffer in uh, isolation. Mm -hmm. I'm available. They can send me an email. I'll do what I can. I'll, I'll at least... Uh, you know, I really, I really want to be there for people that are experiencing this. And, and if I can, if I have any resources that I think could be of service, I will do that. So yes, you can share my email address at the Storytellers Mission, Zena, Z-E-N-A, at the Storytellers Mission.com. And go ahead and reach out to me and I'll 
I'll listen. I'd like to hear your story. I hope you found tremendous value in this week's episode. If you think someone you know will benefit from these episodes, please share. Continue to catch your uninvited thoughts and sing the ants go marching when you catch them if you can't turn them around yet without singing that song. This week, I'm going to encourage you to get the book recommended by Zena. Uh, The title is The Wounded Heart by Dan Allender. And I did put a link in the description. And no, it is not an affiliate link. Nobody will get paid for that unless, of course, you go and buy it. Hopefully, the writer gets the majority of that money. Make sure to follow the podcast, subscribe, leave me a voicemail. Head on over to ChrissyHogueBartles.com and let me know if you want to tell your story. I would love to have you. Until next time. 